we look at past capital campaigns. We ask, you know, have you done capital campaigns in the past? What kind of success uh, percentages did you have in collecting those pledges? Because those are things that give a good history of things that could come and, you know, and so forth. And we sort of weigh some of those different factors in how we score the church. We have a scoring model within a spreadsheet system that we've, that we've built that goes with the questionnaire. Hello and welcome to another episode of Law and Church, a podcast for church leaders. My name is Brian Fitton. I'm here with Josh Bryant, managing attorney at Church General Counsel and an ordained pastor. Josh, I'm so excited about our episode today. You interviewed Donnie Baker, and he really went into some great education around what churches need to look out for whenever borrowing money. What are what are kind of your thoughts on that? You, you know, when a church needs to borrow money, it's a really most of the time a very good thing. You're growing, you're relocating, you're launching. It can be a really exciting time, uh, you know, but you really need to be in a situation where you justify the loan. Uh, and one of the things we talk about just about in every question is necessary documentation. Uh, you've got to have your documentation, and you've got to track certain key uh, pieces of data in your church in order for a bank to give you a loan. And so you need to know how many giving units do we have? How many families and, and individuals do we have giving to the church on a regular basis? Uh, what is our giving record? What are our attendance records? How many members do we have if we do uh, members? Uh, you, you know, what is the value of the property we're wanting to buy or what's the, the, the construction contract and uh, that, that we're wanting to, to enter into and how much money is this going to cost us? And uh, there's just so many other things that we will talk about that you need to track. But that's kind of a, a key takeaway that, that you guys in the audience uh, should, should listen out for here is that you know, figure out those things that you need to track and you need to document because uh, any bank that you go to is going to be looking out for those things. I completely agree, Josh. Let's go ahead and jump into your interview with Donnie right now. All right, welcome to another episode of Law and Church. Today, our guest is Donnie Baker. Donnie is the Senior Vice President of uh, Commercial Lending at First Security Bank in Arkansas. He has 21 years of experience in banking, 15 of which he has specialized in loans to churches. Uh, Donnie, you've served several times on uh, finance teams and finance committees at churches uh, that you've been a part of, and so you certainly got uh, two pieces of expertise here, one being as a church member who's who's worked with church finances, but then also as a lender who lo- loans money to churches on behalf of your bank. So we're glad to have you here. You're going to have an awful lot that you're going to be able to, to offer to the listening audience today. Well, I appreciate the opportunity, Josh. Thanks a lot. That's something that uh, I'm very passionate about. I feel like it's a uh, some skills that the Lord has equipped me to be able to serve churches as my own type of ministry and so mm-hmm. forth. It's something I just have built a passion for over time and uh, really enjoy work- working with church bodies as they continue to grow and so forth. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I've got a few questions for you sure. today. I've got them on my, my phone here. I really need to get something other than a phone to take <laughs> notes with. But anyway, uh, here we go. Well, let's just talk very generally for a little while. Uh, speaking, where do you see uh, the, the greatest deficiencies in churches when you get a loan application? What are some of those uh, just areas where time and time and time again you see churches that are just not uh, don't have their ducks in a row ready to take out a loan. You know, many in many churches, what we see, I would say primarily probably small to medium sized churches. Usually, they have one or two people that are uh, doing the bookkeeping, or maybe they're finance type type individual that just by no fault 
have a uh, don't have an accounting background. Mm-hmm. You know, they aren't in depth accounting and so forth. They've sort of just been asked to be put in it to help sort of, you know make sure and record everything. And we see a lot of errors in the financial statements with um, loan payments maybe being being uh, categorized wrong, where the whole payment will go in to the income statement or the cash flow statement for the church instead of breaking out properly to really give a good picture for the church of you know, booking their assets properly, you know, equipment they bought, building they bought, and, and so forth, mm-hmm. uh, being able to book that in the balance sheet properly and then put the expenses from interest expense and so forth in their income statement. Mm-hmm. You know, with churches not filing tax returns, their methods of accounting don't have to really necessarily be as precise as a traditional small business might. Right. So we just see a lot of things there. But but when we're going in and underwriting the churches, those are a lot of adjustments we have to make, and it ends up being a lot of questions we have to ask. So one thing that we suggest for many churches is, um, you know, if you don't have your know, local CPA that you use that or or bookkeeping service or something, they don't necessarily have to do taxes or anything. Mm-hmm. But just sit down with them and come up with some best practices from an accounting standpoint on how to best, um, you know, how to best record those items and so forth. And even with some churches, especially sort of moderate, middle-sized churches, you know, you're talking, you know, let's say 3,500, 4,000 members, you know, even 2,000, 1,000 members. Every so often, of getting a annual audit by a local CPA and many local CPAs will give a good price to churches. Mm-hmm. They may even have a church member. Who's a, who has a CPA practice or something that might be willing to give the church a discount or know someone that would to just be able to, to do some of those things and help the church um, have some good policies and procedures, much like you do on the legal side, Josh, mm-hmm. of just the proper ways to handle some things financially and really give a good set of financial information to the bank. Yeah. And, you know, there were a couple of things you said there that were kind of interesting. You know, one of the things that, that I when I talk to churches about, you know, filing tax returns, one of one of the things I go ahead and tell them is, listen, it is okay to go ahead, even if you decide that you don't want to send it into the IRS, fill out a 990. Yeah. Because just because you don't fill out a 990, that doesn't necessarily mean you're not going to get audited one of these days. Mm-hmm. And especially when we're, we're kind of getting into this world, and, and we did a Facebook Live on it a few weeks ago, and um, we've talked about it with Dr. Rayner. Uh, we're just getting into a world where churches and businesses are going to start doing more partnerships, either from a real estate perspective where um, the, the church leases out its facilities or uh, rents a facility in a, a strip mall, or uh, it could be, uh, you know, a property development issue where a church buys, you know, a whole bunch of land and then, you know, so they can kind of control the development around it. And then they bring in a developer and they partner with that developer, or there are retail things like bookstores and coffee shops that churches can outsource. All of those things invite an audit. Um, and so churches are, are just going to start getting audited more and more, and we're going to have to pay attention to those things and look out for it, especially if any part of their real estate is leveraged. Uh, because at that point, if your real estate is leveraged and you're leasing it out to somebody like a school or charging for uh, you know community events where they want to use your property, at that point, it's now unrelated business income tax. And so you got to be real careful on how you, you do that. So I would say go ahead and fill out a 990 and make sure that you've got those I's dotted and T's crossed. And and then certainly when you start talking about making sure that you've got good record keeping practices and, and, you know, having an annual audit or just having somebody available to um, just make sure that you've got things properly categorized, that's a big help in in staving off um, 
embezzlement, for lack of a better term. You know, when you start counting money properly, uh, you kind of start noticing some Mm -hmm. things. And I've had churches call me and say, hey, we just implemented this new accounting system, and now we've gotten to a situation where now it looks like money's missing. Uh, and come to find out, sure enough, it is because they started counting and categorizing it properly. It wasn't just a, a line item for miscellaneous expenses. Now you've got, uh, you know, each individual staff member has a line item or something like that. And anyways, it, it when you get more robust in those accounting practices, it can actually stave off some of that embezzlement and, and help you find it if it's actually going on. So I think all those are great, great practices. Let's move on to this second question here. Um, so what are the key things that you're looking for when you open up a loan application or when you get a loan application, what are you looking for in making that decision? You know, for us, one thing that we were able to create at First Security that uh, over the years from just experience and some, some national research and articles and just some of our information on lending to churches was we have come up with a one-page church questionnaire. Mm-hmm. And this church questionnaire covers everything from, you know, what financial information we're going to need from the church. But we also look at the age of the church, how long the leadership and and the pastor, how it's structured, any kind of denominational support they either receive or, or, or contract, you know, not necessarily contracted to give, but, you know, agreements they have to give a percentage of their general fund, you know, giving to, you know, certain organizations, Mm -hmm. um, you know, ministry organizations and so forth. And also, you know, we look at the giving units, we look at average attendance, we look at the membership, you know, for churches that do keep membership, you know, one, one trend we're starting to see with a lot of the non-denominational churches is they'll track giving units, but they're not really tracking membership. They'll track attendance on Sunday morning or whatever nights they do services and they'll track giving units, but they're not technically people don't technically join the church as we some of us may right. all recall in more traditional you know whether it be southern baptist or methodist or you know some of the denominations that still you know have you join the church we're seeing a little bit of non-denominationals we're having to uh, sort of change the way we look at a few things but they can still give us an idea of what they call members or regular attenders right. and they sort of relate that a lot to their average you know their average attendance per you know per week and so forth um we look at past capital campaigns we ask you know have you done capital campaigns in the past what kind of success uh percentages did you have in collecting those pledges because those are things that give a good history of things that could come and you know and so forth and we sort of weigh some of those different factors in how we score the church we have a scoring model within a spreadsheet system that we've that we've built that goes with the questionnaire that actually scores the church it actually based on a lot of those things tells us really what the mo the mat the most that the church should be borrowing mm. so we have a lot of really just great metrics that we can even sit down with the church or their finance committee, and say, okay, here's what we're seeing. Can you talk through this? But really gives a different perspective on how to look at uh, what they're trying to do when they're looking to to build a new facility or refinance, whatever they're looking might be looking to do. Yeah. Okay. You know, we talked to to Jim Shepard, uh, who's the principal and CEO at Generis, and you know they do a whole lot of those capital campaigns where they're um, helping churches make sure that those are successful. Uh, so certainly go go look up Generis if you're looking at doing a, mm-hmm. a capital campaign and and you know ultimately the better you can do on that, the greater percentage of the pledges that you can actually collect. I'm going to assume that the the better you're they're going to score on that that particular questionnaire. Yeah, that's definitely one of the weighted factors. Um, you know, another one of the weighted factors, believe it or not, is the age of the mm-hmm. church and how long 
that uh, that pastor has been at the church, mm-hmm. believe it or not, because there shows a lot of stability. You know, we may a, a church that may have only been a body for three to five years is going to score differently than a church that's maybe been fifteen years. Or I have one client that they have been uh, a church for ninety eight years. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so uh, you know, we we see it all over. We mm-hmm. see it all over the different spectrums, but it does have a weighting because you just have more history to work yeah. with. Yeah, yeah, awesome. <laughs> Uh, so let's go into our third question. What are some things that churches need to be doing several months before they even come to you? Uh, just kind of as preparation. What are some of those mm-hmm. preparatory steps they can do? Yeah, one thing, and I, I'll, I'll say it both from a bank side and from the church side here. From the bank side, it's starting to talk to your banker or banker about what the church is starting to maybe think about doing. Starting to provide financials earlier, maybe to the to the bank, so the bank can maybe give you some feedback on some things that might need to be cleaned up. Or just maybe some things they're seeing that they think could be uh, some things that just might, might need to be talked about and, and taken care of. Um, but you know, one thing I would stress is you know, churches are not traditional businesses. Right. They do not operate like your traditional small business. And it's you need to interview your banker like they interview you for a loan. Mm. You know, get to know your banker. Is your is your banker a believer? Yeah, what's your banker's relationship with Christ? And I know that most people don't think, well, golly, why should I get in that deep with my banker, with our banker on this? Well, you need to make sure that your banker has the same faith that you do. Mm. And, you know, you need to make sure that they understand how churches operate and, and maybe are involved in a church where they have a good understanding of really what things look like on a day to day, week to week basis um, in the operations of a church. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of times we see, you know, churches that deal with bankers that have, I hate to say it, have never stepped foot in a church. Yeah. And I think it's hard on that. And there's, I put, think that puts some strain on that relationship between a banker and a church when there's that spiritual disconnect. Yeah. You know, another thing the church needs to do is obviously starting to get together with their finance committee, their deacons, their elders, however they're structured from a finance standpoint to start talking through, okay, what is it that, that, that we feel led to do? You know, what is it that we want to, um, you know that we want, uh, you know that we want to accomplish whether it's new buildings, you know whatever it might be. Um, but another thing is for the pastoral staff, especially this the, the senior pastor is to not you know, to to start laying that groundwork in teaching giving as an act of obedience mm, yeah. instead of as a I hate to use the term, but plea for money. Yeah. You know, the first time that the congregation hears about giving shouldn't be when they're wanting to start a capital campaign. Yeah. Um, I feel it's very, very important from the pulpit that that the pastors really teach teach giving as an act of obedience and what that looks like. Because one thing that we see with capital campaigns and so forth, and when we see a church go through a capital campaign, or a building, you know, a, a, a building fund is a lot of times we see church members will say, okay, well then instead of giving my ten percent tithe to the to just generally, I'm just going to designate those funds to the building fund or the capital campaign. When really those items are supposed to be offerings. Yeah, you know, your normal ten percent tithe is should be going to the general budget of the church. Anything that's designated funds, you know, to another ministry organization. Uh, within the church, or to the capital campaign, or to the you know, or or to the or to the building fund, that should be things that you are making an offering above and beyond your normal ten percent tithe. Right. And those are things that need to start to be communicated by the pastor and being and, and and being preached from a biblical standpoint, not making it sound like 
a plea for money from the church mm-hmm. because it really starts with what does the Lord feel you, the Lord needs to be guiding each member of what they feel led to give. Yeah. And that's the way you know, I feel like it, it needs to come across. A lot of times we see you know, giving may go down. You know, your general fund may go down in the financials. But all of a sudden you see this big increase in the building fund or you know, in the capital campaign or so forth because people are taking, okay, well, I'm just going to give to this instead. Well, that's taking away from the, the crucial operations of the church's ministry to pay its staff and to go out in that community and do ministry. Yeah. And I'm, yeah, that's absolutely. You know, there were a couple of things that stood out there for me. Number one is making sure that your church has a culture of giving, mm-hmm. uh, because in that particular situation, you've got to understand what that does to your financials, both in terms of applying for a loan, but also in terms of uh, you know what you might turn into the IRS or what might come up uh, under an audit or what you might put on a 990 that you just keep internally. As if your uh, church's revenue stays flat after a giving campaign something's wrong after a capital campaign because what that tells me is that your givers have taken their tithe and just designated it like you said Mm -hmm. and under those circumstances really nothing has changed Uh, and and we're not really uh, able to look at the financials and see that there's been uh, a capital campaign but for the fact that your budget revenue now has just tanked uh, as a result of that, uh, depending on how much uh, how much that is, and so um, that is key, you, you know. And certainly, I agree with you. Uh, is making sure you know your banker, you know, um, and making sure that your banker is of similar belief and somebody who knows what they're doing in terms of church loans. I mean, when you start talking through uh, how churches do business, those fi- those professionals that work with churches have to have such a niche of knowledge, uh, such a, a a specialized understanding of how things work, that it's really important that that's what they do. Um, insurance, for example, mm-hmm. you cannot have just your run-of-the-mill commercial no. insurance policy. Uh, commercial insurance does not cover sexual abuse. Mm-mm. Commercial insurance does not cover... Uh, you know, somebody who might sue the church because of bad advice they got in the pastor's office in counseling. Uh, and so you have got to have uh, really, really specialized church-based insurance, somebody who knows how churches operate and knows what to cover. Uh, and this might sound a little bit self-serving, but you need to have a lawyer that understands how churches work. Uh, you know, we are have bylaws all across the country right now that are really kind of stuck in the 1950s. But when I look at bylaws, a lot of times what I see is that their bylaws are drafted for a business. Yes. And they may have taken one or two paragraphs. You know, they've taken the IRS language uh, that the IRS requires and some of those foundational documents, and they've thrown those in there. And, uh, you know, every once in a while they'll talk about a, you know, a committee or something like that. Um, But a lot of times even those committees are structured like a business. So, um, you know, Churches aren't businesses. Uh, now, we need to operate like a business. We need to have processes and procedures in mm-hmm. place, but it is unlike any other business in the world. Uh, it's God's business. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an eternal business. Uh, you, you know, the church is the only business that will ever 
survive. It's the oldest business still mm-hmm. in operation, and it will survive into eternity. It will outlive every other business on the planet. So, uh, you know, under those circumstances, we've got to be very uh, focused in how we do those things. So I'm sure let, we'll talk let, about that more. Let me mention something else, Josh, to, to another point when you're talking about in the asking about the preparations that that a church should go through yeah. before as they embark on, on on an expansion is you know one thing we do see is having a realistic expectations of what the church needs and what the church wants yeah you know and to me it comes back to stewardship you know we are using god's money that he has blessed us with through our through our congregations giving their acts of obedience through giving we still have to be good stewards of that. Yeah. You know, there are many times that we see many churches that'll come to us and say, you know, here's what we would like to do, where you know the ask just absolutely exceeds the ability of the church. And it goes back to something you said a few minutes ago, Josh, which is, you know, obviously you should hope with a new facility that giving goes up because people are being attracted to come to the church because you've got a bigger facility or they want to come see the the new facility so they stay to, you know and and really enjoy the church and feel led to stay but you know sometimes you know your you know the faith of the church has got to be balanced with the reality yeah of it um it's definitely not bad to have the faith oh you know that that the lord's going to provide us a way to pay for this building but is that the best stewardship of his funds? Yep. Uh, there's a local church I work with um, who has been very, very successful. Lord's blessed them just have a tremendous ministry in the area. And when they built their building, they built a certain size building. But it was a certain size building where they could take it and add on to it. Yeah. You know, they, they, they have plenty of land. They were able to buy the land at a, at a, at a time where, where, where values were down, so they were able to buy more land. But they are able to have the ability now to, okay, they they fit the current building where they are. Okay, hey, this fits the financials we have. This fits your operations. This is not going to strap us financially from a stewardship perspective. And as they grow, they can sort of add on to the church as they, you know, as they go. But they're still being very, very smart uh, and really looking, for, you know, asking for the Lord's guidance on when it's time to make those next steps because they want to make sure that they're being good stewards. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's 100% right. You you can't have a 2,000-church mentality with 100 members. No. Uh, you know, you've got to take it step at a time, you know, and certainly having faith that God's going to provide, that's certainly fine. Uh, you know, I'm thinking back to Luke 14, who doesn't go out and wage war or build this or whatever without counting the cost, uh, you know, and so you've got to be realistic in that. Um, and I, I love that model of when, when you're going to design a new facility, designing it in such a fashion as you can be very uh, strategic in how you go um, about building on and adding to it so that you can your facilities can grow with your church rather than having to build something that you can grow into that you're not going to be able to afford. You know, uh, you know, one of the statistics that we've talked about a couple of times on the show has been that 61% of all Church buildings in the United States have house congregations that can't financially maintain the building. And so when you talk about you know roughly 200,000 church buildings that are, are dilapidated, you've got billions and billions of dollars of deferred maintenance. So it might be uh, one of these things, rather than building new brick and mortar, where we need to start looking at investing in some of those churches, you can do that through church mergers or uh, you know, buying that church or, or whatever. There are ways that you can come alongside existing churches, help them out, 
uh, and and maybe merge them into your campus or create a new campus or just merge the two congregations together if they're in a position where financially their building is just falling apart. Uh, and if six and ten churches in the country uh, are in that position, maybe that's just a great great opportunity. Um, you no, know, I can think of. Uh a couple local churches here in Northwest Arkansas area in our area that have absolutely been able to save congregations from having you know this by by merging with them and using that facility because they had the resources and those areas of those churches that were about to sh- unfortunately sh- close their doors or however you want to word it are thriving yep. now because they 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 did that merger and it's just been absolutely great you know the last thing the church wanted you don't want the church does not want the debt to become a hindrance on their ability to to minister to their church members to minister to the community around them and to affect their ability to send people on worldwide missions you don't want the debt to hinder their ability to spread the gospel yeah that that's a that's a great point well, talking about hindrance uh, to spreading the gospel, let's move into our last question. What are some things that churches can do uh, if they start to get behind? What are some things they need to start paying attention to if it just looks like financially they're not going to be able to continue to make those note payments? Well, you know, one thing is they need to meet with their finance committee, get, get their finance committee, deacons, elders, again, however the church is set up, start talking about some of the issues. They see, you know, a lot of times it starts with variable expenses, um, you know, that need to be cut. Maybe there's some ways that you cut some different things in some, some different areas that um, that maybe aren't necessities that could just be put on the back burner for the time being until till uh, you know the financial health of the church improves. You know, you never want to talk about these things, but if you've got some staff members then maybe you need to, you know, cut back on some hours or maybe you know, maybe just you may have to start leaning on some lay people in the body to step in and help do some of that work to serve the body. Um, you know, to be able to cut some of that payroll expense. You know, one thing I would say that's very crucial for the for the for the churches: start talking. If you've got debt, start talking to the bank bank earlier. If you're starting to see some weaknesses, just have some concerns and, and want the bank to know what's going on and talk through some things with them. Be proactive. Don't be reactive. You know, if if you you know, crisis mode doesn't help the yeah. situation any. So if you start to feel like some things are, are weakening and or so forth, go ahead and start to address it with the bank so the bank can be proactive with you and maybe helping adjust some of those note payments, maybe going back to an interest-only period for a short amount of time to allow some things to get caught up and to be able to address some things in, you know, with, with the body financially. But you know, the last thing you want to do is go so far that you're at the, almost at the point of no return yeah. that puts the bank in a difficult you know circumstance. I know that you and I have discussed in the past with with some clients you've had, Josh, mm-hmm. that you've you you know you've had some of those situations um, where there maybe needed to be a little bit more proactive than reactive. And by the time it was reactive, it had really gone a long way down the road, and and, and really took a lot to really help repair that for that church. Yeah, you know, and it it seems like every time I I work with a church that's having debt problems. Every one of the things that we've talked about today is an issue. So, for example, uh, you know, a lot of the churches, I mean, we've gotten to the point where we've had to file Chapter 11 bankruptcy um, for a church because their bank foreclosed. Well, their bank foreclosed in part because they really didn't know their banker. Uh, Their banker was very much in a loan-it-to-own-it situation, meaning that they're going to go ahead and loan you the money, uh, and they're going to speak into uh, how to build this church, uh, and eventually they're going to get to a point to where they own that church uh, and, and can use it for other 
um, things if they can turn around and sell it. Uh, you know, they've foreclosed because um, they didn't have great financials. Uh, they had handwritten financials um, sometimes, or they weren't filing their 990s, or they weren't, um, you know, really accounting at all for those expense, expenses uh, where the pastor's salary uh, was uh, variable, uh, depending on how much money the church had. And it was the, uh, you know, maybe the church's spouse or, you know, somebody from college who was actually writing the pastor a check. Um, and it, it just, it varied from month to month. And so now you're sitting here and if you're a bank, you're looking at that and you're saying, hang on, that, that looks like the pastor's walking away with money. Now you're not only into a banking problem, now you're into a tax problem because nonprofits can't do that. So, um, you, you know, and then obviously if it gets to the point to where we're filing Chapter 11, it's because it's gone too far. You didn't talk to the bank early enough and work out uh, something where we can make those um, adjustments that need to be made in order to save the building uh, and get to a point to where you're financially able to make those notes. So um, everything that we've talked about today... <laughs> comes to play in those situations absolutely so yeah. all right well this has been another episode of law and church donnie i thank you so much for for reaching out uh and and being on the podcast you've got again just tons of expertise uh in, in this area and so you've you've benefited us a lot we really appreciate you being on well listen i appreciate the time thank you for the opportunity and uh just it's a great opportunity to be able to, to minister and serve churches in the way that both you and i do josh and absolutely. appreciate all you do for churches as well well thank you very much Wow, Josh. So much great information from Donnie there. What are kind of your final thoughts on this? You know, we talked about this last week in uh, our Churches and Courts segment uh, as kind of our initial thoughts there, and and that was the need to get your professionals involved early. Uh, and so, you know, if you go and you talk to your lender six months in advance of needing the loan, that lender is going to be able to tell you what documentation you're lacking so that you've got time to get that documentation in order before you absolutely need the loan in order to close on a construction contract or uh, close on a purchase or whatnot. Uh, getting an attorney involved to look at those documents early so that if there are negotiations that need to take place or other uh, alterations that need to happen in these documents, uh, that those there's plenty of time to get those things done. Accountants, getting them involved early to make sure that your financial records are uh, at, at a par level that a bank is going to accept and look at and and be okay with. So, uh, you know, again, we we talked about it last time. Get your account, your your professionals in early. We'll talk about it again. Get your professionals in as early as possible. It will stave off some problems. Absolutely. Josh, tell us a little bit about what you've got going on at Church General Council. Yeah, let me tell you a little bit about our do-it-yourself suite, the DIY suite. You know, this is the same software that is available in our client suite. Uh, the only difference is it just doesn't include access to an attorney. Uh, a lot of churches want to do things on their own. Uh, there are a lot of churches that have the know-how to systematize their processes. They just don't have the proper resources in place to get it to where everybody who needs to have access to those policies and processes have it. So uh, what what we can do is we can provide our uh, policy manual to you that you can go in and customize just without legal access. Uh, that is available to churches, and it's half the normal price for churches. You just need to use promo code CHURCHNP when you sign up for it. That's CHURCHNP uh, for nonprofit. And ultimately what you can do, you can get out there, you'll assign and automate all of your training of your staff and volunteers based on the processes for legal issues, for 
personnel, whatever, all the way going to just how you do ministry. Uh, you can assign that and automate the training on that. You can document every process you've got. There are, are ways that you can integrate this with other apps that you might use like Slack and uh, Constant Contact and so forth. There's so much you can do with this. So go learn more at churchgeneralcouncil.com. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Law & Church. Make sure you check out lawandchurch.com for all the resources, show notes, links. Everything is available for you there. And if you'd like to connect with us, go over to facebook.com, search the Church Esquire Club. There's all sorts of opportunities for you there. And thanks so much for joining us. We will see you next week.